Colossians chapter 3. And uh, if you haven't already found that in your Bibles, be finding that tonight. We have gone through, uh, well, there are a total of 95 verses in the book of Colossians. So far, we've gone through 52 of them. There are 43 to go, and we're going to look at 11 more tonight. So uh, we're going to begin at Colossians chapter 3. And if you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin by only reading the first four verses of chapter 3, but we will ultimately end up at uh, verse 11, the Lord willing. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If you found it, say amen. 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 So this is what it says. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Notice that it says, if you be risen with Christ, it says, now your life is hid with Christ in God, and it also says, Christ who is our life. I've titled the message tonight, Living the New Life. Living the New Life. You may be seated. Now, uh, we're coming now to the practical section of the book of Colossians. Paul often would write in such a way uh, that, first of all, he would deal with the doctrinal uh, portion, and then he would move on to the practical application of the things that he had been discussing. So now we are coming into the practical application of the things that we have learned. And uh, this book is packed full of a lot of really great stuff. And uh, I've learned a lot studying it, and I hope that you have as we've been looking at it. Uh, Now, I want you to notice uh, Paul has taken the time to give these believers a solid foundation. That's what he's been doing in the previous chapters. In one and two, he's been giving them a solid foundation that they can stand on. Really, it's a place of safety from these false teachers that were invading the church at Colossae. And he has given them a clear view of Christ. Remember, we talked about the lenses that they could look through and see a clear view of Christ. He's shown them the glory of Christ and the supremacy of Christ, the power of Christ. We talked about the work of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ, how we're complete in Christ and how that union brings the blessings of Christ. Remember, we talked a lot about the union that we have with Christ and in Christ, and now he's going to show them how to live as new creatures in Christ in light of the truths that we've been learning. So he's going to uh, begin to make practical application, and by the grace of God, I hope to do that tonight. So first of all, I want to begin by looking at verse 1 and point out to you that the new life is only for those who believe. He starts out the very first part, the very first word of chapter three is if you then be risen with Christ. So the person who has never been born again does not have this new life in Christ that he's talking about. They cannot expect to enjoy the blessings of Christ because they have not been united to him. 
It's only for those who have been born again, who have received that new life in Christ. It's only for those who have been identified in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what every believer has done. When you trusted Christ, you have been identified with Christ. So he begins this by simply saying, if you be risen, meaning it's only for those who are risen, who have come to Christ. Now, uh, I really... uh, Uh, Move on down to verse three because we're going to really kind of start there and then we're gonna circle back. And it'll make more sense to you here in just a few moments. Uh, Verse three uh, says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So the believers have a new life and the old man is dead, is what he's saying. The believers have a new life, and the old man, it's dead. Now, it's true that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We talked about that, and we've been made alive in Christ. But as it pertains to our sinful flesh and the old man, that man is dead, and Christ has given us a new and living way. We have, uh, we have been given this new life, and the old man is dead. See, Every believer that is joined to Christ, their old man has died. When we were identified with Christ, our old man has died. You may be saying, well, you don't look very dead. At least I hope I don't look very dead tonight. You may be saying, well, you don't look very dead, but the fact of the matter is that when we were identified with Christ, that old man died, and we were given a new life. When Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. I'm talking to believers here. When Jesus died on the cross, you've trusted Christ. You believed in the work that Christ has done. When you you trusted Christ, you died with him. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Says it pretty clear there, doesn't it? He says, I am crucified with Christ, and it's not me that lives. The life that I have now is that life that Christ has given me. That's the life that is now alive inside of me. So he's saying the old man has died, and now I have a new life that I'm living in Christ. We talked about it last week, and I'll go over it just so we have a clear reference point. Remember in Colossians 2.12, it says this, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And remember, we're talking about this is that spiritual baptism where we are identified with Christ at the cross. We are buried with him in his death and we are raised with him in that newness of life. It talks about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jew or Gentiles whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit so again we're talking about identification with Christ and being joined to him in his death burial and resurrection it is the spiritual baptism when you trust Christ you are identified with him at the cross of Calvary 
you're identified. Your old man was being put to death at the cross of Calvary. Because we are identified with him, that means that we are crucified with him at Calvary. That means that his death is our death. That means that his burial is our burial. That means that where he goes, we go. That means his resurrection is our resurrection. What he accomplished, we enjoy. His victory is our victory, and his life is our life. That's what we're talking about. We're identified with Christ. We have a union with Christ. And so our old man has died at the cross. We were crucified with Christ. And the life that we live now is not our own, but it's the life that Jesus gave us at the cross through being joined to him at the cross, raised in newness of life. And whenever you went out to demonstrate that inward work, when you went to be water baptized, you were demonstrating that inward work that had already been accomplished and you were testifying saying I was buried with Jesus in his death and I am now risen with Jesus in his life and you were telling everybody that was watching the old Josh is dead the old you is dead he's buried under the water you just seen the new one rise up with life in Christ Jesus that's what you're talking about here What he accomplished through his death and burial and resurrection is ours the moment we trust Christ. And we are alive in Christ. The old man is dead. I hope that's clear with you. Ephesians says uh, in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, we've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a wonderful thing. We're identified with Christ. Now, I want you to know this, that this new life is secure in God. God's the one that gives it to us. Look at verse three again. It says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Our life is hidden in Christ and God. We're safe from the external forces. We have a security with Christ in God. Now, the world may not see this. The, the world may look at you when you're on your job site, when you're at work doing whatever, and they just see another guy, but they don't realize that inside of you beats the life of Christ. Why? Because it is hidden in many ways from them. But we know because we have that life living inside of us. The world may not see it, but it's true inside of the life of every believer. We have the life of Christ. Amen. It is a, it is a life that we can, that we can hold on to and cling to and love because Christ has won it for us and given it to us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, you know, the scripture Verse 28 through 30, he said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's what we're talking about, the life that Jesus gives. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let me say, we are in a good place. 
The believer is in a good place. You think about that. We're in Jesus' hand, in the Father's hand. The Bible talks about we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee that there is more and greater things to come. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise because Jesus is the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life, and he is the keeper of life. And by his grace, he's going to get us home. This is a life that we can live love we can hang on to and it is a life that is secure in God hallelujah amen yeah you don't have to patty cake go ahead give the Lord a big praise never be afraid to praise God in the house of God even if you're the only one doing it let me just say that people might think you're weird but who cares you're praising Jesus not them if they got a problem with it well they can just get over it Now, since you have the new life, seek heavenly things. Let's look again at verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now, we're talking about the believer, so let's, let's look at this like this. Since you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. You've accepted Christ, you've trusted Christ, you have believed Christ. Now, since you are his, since you are a believer, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Now, he's saying we need to seek those things. What, what are those things above? Well, those things are the blessings of God in Christ Jesus, The things above are all the blessings of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Those things that are in heaven are the blessings of God in Christ Jesus. And since we've been joined to Jesus, now we have access to the storehouse of heaven to which Jesus holds the key. Hallelujah, I love that. So since you've been risen with Christ, uh, we should seek those things above. Where is Christ today? He's in heaven. He's on his throne. Where are we today? Unfortunately, we're down here for the time being. So what we need to do is focus on our future in heaven with him. We have been changed inwardly. Someday we're going to be changed outwardly too. Right now we're, we are what we are, but God is going to take us and we're going to be what we will be in Christ someday. Those are the things we think about. See, what the world has to offer is not as exciting as it used to be, is it? What the world has, why? Because something has happened inside. Something has happened in your heart where God began to give you new desires. He began to give you new things that you wanted since you yielded to him, since you trusted him. Now you have these new desires in your heart. And from that desire, we should seek those things above where our heart's desire is, which is Christ Jesus, amen. Seek those things where Christ is sitting on that throne in heaven. We should be learning about him. We should be growing in the things of God. We should be seeking anything and everything that we can find in him. Now, living the new life also includes abandoning the old life. We've been given a new life, but now we must also abandon the old life. So 
Again, Paul is talking to the Colossians and he's given them this solid, incredible doctrinal piece of, of scripture in these prior two chapters and he wants them to have a solid foundation so that with a clear mind and clear vision of who Christ is and understanding that they can begin to apply the things of the word of God and begin to live those things out in their life. That's what I'm trying to get across to all of us and myself included as I'm studying these is how do we apply what is true? How do we apply those things that we know now are true in Christ? How do we move forward in that life with Christ? Well, we begin to seek those things above because a change has happened, and now we also have to abandon the old life. Look again at verse uh, 1. It says, if you be risen or since you have been risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. The Bible says what? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. So we're, we're talking about getting rid of the old life. See, our old man is dead. He's been crucified. He's been crucified at Calvary. And we now have the new life, which is in Christ Jesus. And this new life, there are things that we must abandon in order to have the full joy and truly enjoy the new life that we've been given. There's some things that we need to let go and leave back there in the old life. Leave buried. Don't dig it up. Leave it where it is. Where Christ buried it, leave it there. We've got to abandon our old life. So Paul likes to talk about those things. Those things. And I want to talk about those things and also those things. See, there's those things, but then there's also those things. You follow me? There's heavenly things, but there's also those things which are behind. Philippians chapter three, verse 13 and 14. This is those things versus those things, okay? Philippians chapter three, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what he says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He's saying, I'm not yet where I would surely like to be. I'm, I, I can't say that I've arrived. I can't say, but I'm still pressing on. I'm still moving forward. I'm still growing. I'm still, I'm still pressing on. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? He's talking about those things versus those things. Did you see that? He said, uh, this one thing I do, he said, I'm going to forget those things which are back there, and I'm going to reach for those things which are before me in my new life. See, your past doesn't have to define who you are. It will if you let it, but it doesn't have to because Jesus has given you a new life. You think about Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who was the man going around putting Christians in prison and persecuting Christ himself. You think about that man and the things that must have troubled his mind in the days after his conversion, thinking about his past, those things back there, what he had done, and now he's come to Christ and he has to wrestle with that. And what he says in another place is, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he says, because I'm 
a new creature in Christ Jesus? He said, I tell you, there's one thing that I'm going to do. What's that, Paul? Well, he says, I'm going to forget those things that are in the past that God saved me from. I'm going to take my hands off of those things that held me back way back there. I'm going to take my hands off of those things, and I'm going to reach forward to the prize which is in Christ Jesus and the new life that I've been given. That's important. Your past doesn't have to define you. He's saying, he's saying I'm going to reach forward. Now, you're never going to be able to reach forward unless you're willing to let go. You're never going to reach forward in the new life and fully enjoy that unless you're willing to let go of some things that are back there, right? You're never really going to have that, that joy because why? Your hands are tied up. Your hands are tied up. How are you going to reach if you're holding on to something? We're talking about those things versus those things. And, and so Paul instructs us in Colossians, we're to reach for what? Those things which are above. And in Philippians, in the same thought process, he's saying, you need to let go of those things which are behind and reach for those things which are before. And might I add this, that we need to reach with both hands. You can't say, I am giving it all I've got. I'm reaching, I got short arms, but Lord, get me home. No, with both hands, reaching forward towards the prize, which is in Christ Jesus. Two hands, two hands, you gotta let go. Because if you're not willing to let go, well, you can hang on to those things. The devil has some of those things for you. What are some of the things the devil has? Well, he has doubt and worry and shame and fear and depression and guilt and ungodly sorrow and lies and deception and death. And what I'm saying to you is take your hands off of all those things that he's given you, that he's letting you feast on in your past. Take your hands off of those things with both hands. Reach for the prize, which is in Christ Jesus. Reach for those things which are above and get rid of those things which are behind. Why? Because Jesus has some better things for you. He's got life. He's got joy. He's got peace. He's got hope. He's got forgiveness and mercy and grace and truth and everlasting life and the promise of a home in glory with him where you will never ever perish. Hallelujah. Those things... Which, which those things do you want? I think that's what he's saying. Which those things do you want? Well, if you're going to enjoy living the new life, you've got to let go of some things which are behind. That's what he's talking about. Now, while we're living the new life, it's good to remember that Christ is on his exalted throne. Look again at verse 1, the last part of it. We're seeking those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, the fact that Christ, our Savior, the one that we're joined to, the one whom we love, who has saved us and gave himself for us, the fact that that Savior is sitting on the throne of glory, who is supreme and sovereign over all of the universe, that's good news to every single believer. That's good news. That's good news for you, and that's good news for me. Christ is on his throne. Remember the passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3? Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person 
and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that beautiful? The reason he sat down was because the work was finished. Christ ascended into heaven. See, he died for the sins of humanity. He triumphed over death. Remember that word, triumphed over death. Rose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven and he came into heaven and he went and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and that is that exalted seat of power. That is the seat, that is the honored, exalted seat of power and he sat down because he had already finished the work that needed to be done for us. And I'm telling you, it's good news that Christ Jesus is on his exalted throne. In another place, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That means he understood everything you're going to face. He understands everything that you uh, have experienced. He's been here. He's walked this way before, and he understands it, and he gets it. It's one thing when you tell somebody that doesn't get it, but when you're talking to the Savior, he gets it. He's been here. He's been this way before. Verse 16 says, let us therefore become uh, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's good news for those that are living the new life because Christ is on his throne. It says that we can come to that throne and we can obtain grace. We can find help in time of need. Why? Because we're joined to that Savior who's on that throne, who loved us and gave himself for us. We, he, he loves us and gave himself for us. So when we have a need and we have a hurt, we can run to the throne because he has made access for us. He has made a way that we can come before the throne of God by his blood, by his death, by his resurrection. And now we have access to come into the throne of God and to make those requests. He holds the keys to the storehouse of heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. That's our Savior. We have access now, and the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's for us. Amen. I love that. It's an amazing thing to think that Christ tonight is interceding for us. Right now, while we're in this church tonight, Jesus is praying for us because he's on that seat of power. He's in that seat of power, seated, seated, uh, seated on the throne tonight. It's God working for us. It's God working with us, and it's God working in us to help us. Amen. I love that. Not only that, but as we're living the new life, we should set our earthly mind on heavenly things. Now, we were told previously to seek those things out. Now we're told to uh, set our affections. Look at verse 2. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Now, the new life should bring a total change of mind, a total change of how we think and what we do. It should give us a total new way of thinking. And Paul is saying, hey, Colossians, not only seek those things which are above and leave those things in the past that need to stay in the past, 
enjoy your new life, but also dwell on those things. Dwell on the riches of the promises of the future that you have in Christ Jesus. Set your affections on things above. See, we're to exercise our mind in the things of God. We can exercise our mind in a lot of things. The more you exercise, what? The stronger you build those muscles. We can exercise on worldly things and fill our mind with all sorts of garbage. We can load it down with all sorts of things in this world, or we can begin to set our affections and exercise our minds, what? On the promises of Scripture, on the joys that we have in Christ. We can begin to exercise our mind, and it's going to bring a joy in our life. It's going to cultivate a hope inside of our life, an expectant hope. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21? Let me read that for you. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what Jesus said. What was he saying? Set your mind. Set your affections on things above. He's saying this world that we're living in is a temporary place. It's full of thieves and liars and robbers. It's full of things that are going to rust and decay. They're not going to stay. They're going to pass away. And he's saying the world that you're living in now is not worth investing in. Set your affections. Set your mind. Seek those things above because those things are never going to fade away. Those things are the things that you're going to have in the life to come because they are kept by the power of God and they are from God. They are his giving us to us good gifts from our Savior. Yeah. Fix your eyes on heaven. That's what he's saying. Look up. Get your eyes off this plane down here where we get tunnel vision. We're only looking at the things that's eye level. Set your sights a little bit higher. Fix your heart on heaven. Set your affection on things above. Set Jesus as the object of your affections and the furtherance of his kingdom as the purpose of your possessions. That's what he's saying. Invest in the life to come. Set your affections on things above. C.S. Lewis said it wonderfully. He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. That's what Jesus is saying. Why? Because one of these days, all this is going to pass away. Earth is temporary. Heaven is eternal. Our life in Christ is eternal. Not only that, but it's comforting to know as we're living the new life that we're going to appear with Christ in glory. We will appear with Christ in glory. Look at verses three and four. He says, for you are dead. See, our old man is dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. We have that new life in Jesus. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. We have a promise that 
we're not going to get stuck on this earth, but one day when Christ will appear, we are going to appear with him. Now, John said in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What, he's, what John is saying is there's a change that's coming. You may be living on this earth right now in these old bodies that are corruptible and decaying, but this corruption is going to put on incorruption. There is a change that's coming that's going to match that inward change that Christ has already done. Someday we're going to have an outward change. Now, we may go by the way of the grave, or we may go right now, the Lord could descend from heaven with a shout in the voice of the archangel. We could be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That could happen right now. The dead in Christ are going to rise, and then we which are alive and remain. That could happen right now. But one thing is for sure, whether we go by the way of the grave or whether we're caught up in the rapture of the church, one day we will appear with Christ in glory. We're going to appear with him in glory. I believe that someday we're going to be changed. We're going to be glorified just like Jesus at his glorious appearing. Think about it. We are going to appear with him when as Jude talks about and Enoch testifies, behold, he cometh with 10,000s of his saints and every eye is going to see Jesus. And when this world is seeing Jesus, they're also going to see us appear with him in our glorified bodies. Hallelujah. At that place, the heavens are going to open at that time. We're already with Jesus in heaven at that point. We're, we're already with him, but at the time that Jesus is presented and revealed to the world and the heavens open and the white horse is there and you see he's glorified and he's coming to judge the world in righteousness and his eyes are a flame of fire and he is the one who is faithful and true. He is the king of kings and lord of lords as he's coming and he's appearing before this whole world who has blasphemed and hated him and done all manner of evil against him. We're coming with him and we're gonna look just like him. <laughs> Hallelujah. And dad will teach on that here in a couple weeks. Revelation 19, I believe. We're gonna appear with the Lord. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? We're going to appear with Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, we've got a beautiful future, don't we? Doesn't the believer just have an incredible future? Wow. This world doesn't have anything to look forward to, but we sure do, don't we? And because we have this hope, what do we do? We purify our hearts, right? We try in the best way that we know how, by the work of the Holy Spirit, 
working in us, sanctifying us as we go, working things out in us. We, we're saved when we come to Christ. That's a, that, we're declared justified. I mean, when we're saved, we're saved in that moment. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work new fruits of righteousness inside of our hearts. It's, it's not that you have to attain to that. We're saved right that moment that we trust Christ and we're joined to him. And then we, we begin to, the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of us and he says, leave that alone. Get rid of that. And he gives us the power to do it, to grow and grow in these graces and new fruits are being produced in our life. It's a wonderful thing that's happening. And so as we're looking forward to that day, meanwhile, we're still here, right? We're, we're, we're going to appear with him. We know that. He said it. Jesus said he's going to come and take us home, right? But we're still here in the meantime. Now Paul's got to address in the meantime, right? He's got to address this issue in the meantime. So our life, our new life requires a new way of living. Our new life requires a new way of living. Look at verses five through seven. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, I looked that word up to be able to say that, by the way. Concupiscence, now you know. If you don't learn anything else tonight. And covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. Now, let me say this at the outset. Our battle with sin can never be won just by sheer willpower. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's never going to be fought on our own abilities. It's going to be fought by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's, that's something that's going to set uh, the unbeliever apart from the believer because the believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And they've been given new desires and, the, and the, the believer no longer runs to the sin. They run from the sin in the best way that they know how. And if they do sin, then they bring it before God and confess it and we're forgiven because we have an advocate in heaven. But it's never going to be done in our own strength. And Romans chapter 8, verse 13 makes this perfectly clear. Listen to this verse. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify, there's that word again, the deeds of the body, you shall live. Perfectly clear, right? If you try to do it in your own strength, you're going to die. If you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, who now lives inside of you, inside of every believer, then now you have the ability to live. You have the ability to live the new life. It's what he's talking about. So just because we have the new life doesn't mean we're without sin. If anyone tells you that, they're a liar. Just because you have the new life doesn't mean you're without temptation and sin. As long as we're living in these bodies, we're not yet changed. We're not yet at that place where we're appearing with Christ in glory. We're not, we're not changed yet. We still have these old bodies, right? And as long as we're in these old bodies, we're going to struggle. We, we're, we're not going to be sinless, but by the power of the Spirit, we can sin less. That's what he's saying. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not, we're not going to be sinless, but we can sin less with his help. That's what he's talking about. Now he's going to give them some instruction on how to go about this. So let's look again at verse five. He says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Mortify means put to death. Put to death, that's what he's saying. It's the same word from which we get our word mortician. Uh, it's, Paul is saying in the strongest sense that sin must be put to death in us. The believer needs to have sin put to death in them. We must wage war against it. We have to strike it dead without mercy, lest it strike us dead. That's what he's saying. Now, uh, a Puritan writer by the name of John Owen, way back in the 1600s, he had a quote and he said it uh, famously. He said, be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. Be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. That's what he said, and that's true. Now, I, I, I thought about how I might explain this uh, to give us clarity uh, and, and try to give us a, a grasp of the urgency that Paul is trying to explain to the Colossians and also to us in our day. And so I thought about this, that sin is an intruder. Sin is an intruder. See, it doesn't belong in the life of the believer. Sin is an intruder. Uh, I want you to think about it in terms of this. We have to treat sin the same way you would as if an intruder breaks into your house, a homicidal maniac, and begins wildly shooting in your home into your walls at you and at your family. In that moment, you would do whatever it takes in order to, in order to take that intruder down and put him to death lest he puts you to death. You're going to protect yourself by any cost. And this is the same thing he's saying. Sin is an intruder. And what it's going to do is it's going to break into your life and and as it does, it's going to come in there and its goal is to kill you. Its goal is to kill your family. Its goal is to destroy your life. And he's saying when the intruder comes in, you do whatever you have to do to protect your home and your life and your children. It is an intruder and it doesn't belong there and you take extreme measures to put that thing to death before it puts you to death. It's exactly what sin does. It comes in and tries to destroy you Destroy your family, destroy everything around you, and take from you what does not belong to it. It's an intruder in the life of the believer. And he's saying to you, and to me, and to all of us, and to the Colossians, he's saying, you make sure that you treat that with the absolute uh, strictest uh, attention. The problem is sometimes we open the door and just let the intruder right in, thinking that he won't do what he'll do. And that's the danger that he's warning against. The intruder may come into your, your life, your home, but don't let him. Stop him before he gets there. Be killing sin or else your sin will be killing you. So sin has to be put to death. Now we've got to make a conscious, continual effort to put to death any remaining sin in our lives. That's what he's saying. Look again at verse five. He says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now he gives this 
this list of sins. So let's, let's unpack what these are. I'll give you short meanings of these so we can have a better understanding of this list that he's giving us. Fornication, the original word in the Greek is porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. It is sexual immorality, any form of sexual sin. Uncleanness, it goes beyond the sexual acts and includes thoughts, looks, gestures, and jokes. Inordinate affection is uncontrolled passion and lust. The evil concupiscence, man, I got to get that word. Evil desires is what that is, evil desires. Covetousness is basically just greed. It's simple, wanting more, more, more. Now, all of these things are waging war against your soul. They're the intruders. These are the intruders that want to break into your life and destroy you and put you to death. They are, uh, and he says that they, they amount to idolatry because what happens is you're turning away from God, the good life and blessings that he gives, and you're turning to these things to serve those desires. In Jeremiah, the Lord leveled that, uh, that same sort of indictment against his people. He said, you've committed two evils. You've forsaken the living God and you've went out after idols. And so what he's saying, when you're doing these things, you're entering into a form of worship in these things. And Peter warns us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. So that's a warning. And I know this isn't this isn't shouting grounds, but this is necessary. It's in the book. I got to teach what he's got here. This is what he gives to Colossians. It's necessary for them. It's necessary for us. And so he says, war, these things are warring against your soul. I think of, of uh, Joseph when Potiphar's wife was continually advancing him, trying to get him to go to bed with him. And what did he do when she finally grabbed hold of him and said, come to bed with me? He ran as fast as he could out the door and left his clothes behind. I mean, he, I guess he went streaking out of the house. That's how serious he took it. That's how serious he took it. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That's why he says flee, run, at all costs, get away from it. And the reason being is that Christ would never walk in any of these things. And neither should we. Because now we are identified with him. We're identified with Jesus. Christ would never walk in any of these things, so we got to put these things to death. So let me say this. Be careful who you identify with. Now that you're identified with Christ, do not go back to the world. Look at verse 6 and 7. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. Basically, he's saying the wrath of God is coming because of these things. God is going to judge the wickedness of the world. And you may have lived in these sins in the past, but don't number yourself with them now. If this was your past, if this was those things, don't go back to those things. 
Leave them where they lie, where they were killed. Leave them there at Calvary. Don't go back to the old sins. Leave them where they lie. Don't be identified with the things that you once did. Don't go back to those things because the wrath of God is coming because of these things, and you don't want to be found in that place when the wrath of God comes to judge those things. That's what he's saying. It's possible for a believer to struggle in these areas. It is. But someone who's a believer is not going to be comfortable in these places. A true born-again Christian is not going to remain in that place because the Holy Spirit is going to deal with them and grind in their soul and do whatever means necessary to bring them out of that. Don't make friends with sin. Guard yourself from temptation. Look again at verse 7. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. At one time you lived in sin. Now you live in Christ, right? It's the old man versus the new man. You, at one time you lived in sin, and the enemy may try to lure you right back into the very things that you used to do and to try to put you in the very same bondage from which you came from. So be careful and guard yourself in the areas that you know you are weak. I'm trying to give you some practical, uh, some practical help, not just for you, for all of us, for myself included, every one of us. Don't put yourself in a position you know you can easily be tempted. Don't go back to the place of the habit. Don't go back to the people of the habit. Don't make provisions for the sin. If need be, if you need to and you can't, you can't do it, you have brothers and sisters in Christ and go to a trusted godly, godly brother or sister in Christ and ask them to help you and to pray with you and to be a support for you in that place. Bearing one another's burdens, being united in love. That's part of it sometimes. Don't try to fight temptation in the place where the temptation is easily had. For someone who was an alcoholic, they have no business sitting on the bar stool and testifying that they're fighting temptation. That's ignorant. Don't go to the place of temptation because it becomes, you become an easy prey, don't you? You know not to go there. You know not to do those things. You know if you're struggling in sexual areas, if you're struggling with these things, don't be on the computer late at night by yourself. You know these things. Don't be hanging out at the bar room. Don't be going back with your old friends, the drug addicts. Don't be going back to these places. Why? Because you know that the place of the temptation, you're not going to be able to fight the temptation. You're going to be severely weakened if you are able to. That's what he's saying. So we have to avoid the place of temptation and be vigilant and be on guard. Listen to the words he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. 
So God is not tempting you. God doesn't tempt you. He's not tempted to sin. God is not tempting you. But when the temptation comes as a believer, there is a way of escape. And if it's just like Joseph and all he could do was run as fast as he could, then run as fast as you can. That's what he's saying. With the temptation, there's a way of escape. Not only that, well, we've got to continually rid ourselves of any known sins. Now, um, look at verses 8 and 9. It says, but now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Look at your hands. Put your hands up. Look at your hands. Am I doing anything, ask yourself, am I doing anything with these hands that if someone else knew that I would be ashamed and I would bring reproach to Christ? Because I name his name now, don't I? With your feet, with your eyes, with your mind, these are the questions you've got to ask. And he says, not only with these other sins, you know, we just looked at those, you know, the heavy hitter sins. Now he comes into these others, right? And you're looking at this list and you say, well, the other one seems so egregious that these aren't that big of a deal. But he's saying all sin needs to be dealt with in the life of the believer. Everything that we're dealing with needs to be dealt with in the life of the believer. He needs to continually seek to rid himself of these sins. And he says that we're to put them off. He's saying it's like, it's like when you're rolling around under a car and you get oil all over you. And you're getting uh, radiator fluid and transmission fluid. And your fingers are nasty and greasy. And you're covered from head to toe in filth. It's like that when you just want to get out of those clothes and you and you take them off and you, sometimes they're so bad you just throw them in the trash can. That's what he's saying. He said you're going to cast these sins off just like you do an old nasty garment because you don't want to walk around in that. It's filth. Get rid of it. Cast it off. Get it away. That's what he's saying. He's saying put it off. So let's take a look at this, uh, this list real quick and then we'll be uh, moving out of this, six, this section quickly and you're saying praise the Lord. But you know these things are nest. This is right at home for every, every person. These things are things you deal with whether you want to admit it or not. All these things are coming against each person. Temptations in the world. These things are out there to get you. And there's a reason Paul gives such a long list of them because they're all important to deal with in our lives. So anger uh, is one that he lists and it, it, it is uh, you know, the Bible says, be angry and sin not, but there is an anger that is sinful, and we're not to get angry and have that misplaced anger. He mentions wrath. Now, this is not like the righteous wrath of God where he's going to judge the world in righteousness. This is an outburst of that sinful anger. That's what wrath is. Anger becomes wrath, and wrath is sinful anger in action. That's what wrath is. Malice. It's anger gone to heart. You've been nursing it along. It's your pet. You, you hold on to that. And it reaches to the point where you have an evil desire to harm the object of your anger. That's what that is. That's malice. Blasphemy. He's really talking, of course, there's blasphemy against God, but there's also slander uh, uh, against others and someone else. He mentions filthy communication. That's all forms of inappropriate talk, swearing, dirty jokes, etc. And he says, lie not one to another. We're to be honest with each other. He says, all these things need to be taken off like a dirty garment and cast away and removed out of your life. 
He says they need to be taken away. Now, again, I don't want to go through all this this list of stuff that he mentions here without giving you a, a glimmer of hope of how do you go about this. So I want to give you five things, five practical ways to fight sin and temptation. Once again, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. It has to be something that God does in your life. And I'm going to wrap this up here real quick. Number one, renew your mind daily with the word of God. Renew your mind daily with the word of God. A lot of what comes your way is going to start right there in the mind. A lot of what you fight with is right there in the mind. Renew your mind daily with the word of God. Number one, it says in Psalm 119, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Remember when Jesus fought the devil, the temptations of the devil? How did he do it? With scripture. That's what he did. Memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. So when the temptation comes, you can attack that head on with the scripture. Uh, Remember that the Bible calls the word the sword of the spirit. That's the weapon. That is the weapon by which you are going to put sin to death is the sword of the spirit of God. That's your weapon. Number two, make a point of constant prayer and spend time in the presence of God. Jesus told us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And what did he say? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So make it a point of prayer. Lord, help me. Lead me not into temptation. Keep me from these sins. And remember that if you do sin, you have an advocate in Christ Jesus. Keep short accounts of your sin. Immediately confess them, forsake them, and move on. Get up. Don't stay laying down in that thing. Let the Lord forgive you. Number three, cultivate virtues that oppose the sins to which you fight. How do you do that? Cultivate virtues that are going to be opposition to the sins that you struggle with. When the man on the freeway cuts you off and he slams his brakes and he nearly causes an accident and your anger wells up in you and then for some reason he flips you off because you're the one that did it, right? And then you have the desire to go and do a pit maneuver and throw him into the ditch because boy, you're just fired up now. What do you do in that moment? Pray for the man that you're angry at. The very man that just made you furious in that moment, as the anger is welling up, say, Lord, protect that man, watch over him, whatever he's struggling with, help him in his life. If he doesn't know you, send somebody in his path that can share the gospel with him. That's how you cultivate virtues that oppose the sins you fight with. So take a time in your own life and find ways to cultivate things to fight against that. Number four, don't put yourself in the place of temptation. We talked about that. Number five, stay in fellowship with godly brothers and sisters in Christ who can help you in the fight. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, The one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he has not another to help him up. Be in the body of Christ, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters, because you need them. We need each other. We need the love of Christ in the body to help us spur us along. Those are five ways 
that you can fight those temptations. And finally, I'm going to bring this message down to a close. Uh, Are you still with me? We made it through that section, didn't we? Hopefully something in there can help you along the way. Finally, put off the old man and put on the new man. Verses 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In Christ, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. And it's time we start living like that. Even though we have put off the old man, we still have that sin nature. Remember that. And he's put a lot of habits in to this old flesh that we've got to fight against. And like a garment, we cast those off, like he was just saying. And by his spirit, we can live that life. And and it says in verse 10 uh, that he's renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That means that the new man is renewed in knowledge. He's hungry for the things of God. And no longer is he after the image of the old Adam, but now we're being conformed to the image of Christ. That's simply what that's saying. So what am I saying to you tonight? Take off the grave clothes. You're dead, but you're alive. Take off the grave clothes. You've got a new life. Think about Lazarus. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, said, Lazarus, come forth. He came back to life, and they had to what? They had to take off his grave clothes. He was bound hand and foot. His head was wrapped in a napkin. He was alive, but he was restricted, right? He was alive, but he was restricted. I thought it was funny. Charles Spurgeon said this about about this uh, incident with Lazarus. He said, how he moved... I do not know. Some of the old writers thought that he glided, as it were, through the air, and that this was part of the miracle. I think he may have been so bound that though he could not freely walk, yet he could shuffle along like a man in a sack. Some of you tonight are shuffling along like a man in a sack. (laughs) You're just, you're, you're just barely moving along. What, what am I saying? Get out of your sack and start living the new life. Think about something miraculous happened. I don't know what that napkin was like on Lazarus' head, but when I think about I think about our bandages, you know, that they wrap up. I don't know what he had, but in any event, it's still, this will make sense. As they begin to take that off, what happened? He began to be able to see clearly again. And as it got a little bit more, he began to be able to hear clearly. He began to be able to smell clearly. And he said, oh, what's that smell? I've been four days. Woo. I need to get these clothes off. And then, and then as it went a little further, what? He, he could be able to speak again. And he was totally freed from the grave clothes. That's a miraculous thing that happens. As the grave clothes come off, the freedom comes in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm saying to you tonight. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Take off the old grave clothes. Get out of your sack and start living the life that Jesus gave you. That's it. Not only that, Chris, come on and bring a song. Jesus left his grave clothes in the tomb. He did. He left his grave clothes in the tomb, and so should we. Now, the difference among many things between Jesus and Lazarus, uh, the difference was Lazarus needed his grave clothes again later on because he was going to die again. 
But Jesus never needed his grave clothes ever again because he died once for sin forever and he rose again from the grave and because the life that we have is his life, we will never ever need those old nasty grave clothes ever again. That's for us. That's the new life. We're living the new life. Finally, verse 11, in the new life, Christ is all and in all where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. All the barriers have been torn down. There's not all the social barriers. There's not all the racial barriers. It's all been torn down and everyone is equal, equal at the foot of the cross of Calvary. Vance Habner used to say it like this or something similar to this. Christ does not divide horizontally uh, with class and social status. He divides vertically to the right and to the left, saved and lost. And that's what it all comes down to. God is not looking at your social status, where you fall as far as what other people see. He's saying, hey, I divide right and left. And if you're one of mine, then you've got a new life. Take off the grave clothes, live the new life I gave you, and enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. I'm going to invite you to stand with me tonight. We're going to have this song. So the words that I would leave with you tonight, if you're struggling in these areas, try to take those things that were outlined in this scripture and apply them in your life. Take the time to cultivate those things in your life. And maybe you're just feeling restricted tonight you're feeling like you're not really living the life in the fullness that you could, say, oh God, help me to get out of my sack. <laughs> help me. Help me to start living the life. Help me to start living in that freedom that you gave me. It's all there for you, church. Colossians, it's all there for you. Ozark Full Gospel, it's all there for you. Just start living in it. Christ has done it for us. We're going to open these altars. If you need to come down and pray, we'll be happy to pray with you. Those online, you can pray right there where you are in the living room, wherever it may be. God can hear you there and let the Lord just move in your life in a special way tonight. Amen.